Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show on what looks like it is going to be a bit of a snowy Tuesday. It is February 4th and thank you so much for tuning in here with me today. Hope you're having a good Tuesday so far. Have a good show lined up here for the day. The city of Kamloops is celebrating Arena Safety Week this week. It is the second annual year it is recognized this week, and the movement was launched last year in light of changes made due to the tragedy after an ammonia leak in Fernie back in 2017. Three arena workers died in Fernie that day due to the failure of aging equipment and poor operational and management decisions. So the city of Kamloops is aiming to celebrate the great work that staff and teams do to make the facilities safe and to recognize how important they are for our community. The week is also a chance for staff to brush up on their safety knowledge. The uh, importance of things like this was sort of highlighted with uh, this past August here in Kalems. There was a potentially dangerous situation that arose for city staff at Brock Arena that forced the evacuation of the arena as well as the attached pool. So alarms connected to ammonia sensors sounded, which caused staff to initiate evacuation procedures throughout the building and pool. Close to 35 people were evacuated from the building uh, and Kamloops Fire Rescue intended. Fortunately, it ended up being a false alarm, but situations like that go to show the need for procedures to be in place to keep people safe and to be able to be prepared and react when things do occur. So I'll be joined by the city of Kamloops facilities manager to talk more about what is in store over the course of the next few days here as it is arena safety week to make sure safety measures are in place at our city facilities and that they are being followed. Also with uh, my agenda with the facilities manager is to talk a little bit about boat launches which are a part of supplemental budget items presented to council last week. Two options are being submitted for consideration when it comes to boat launch improvements here. Option one outlines minimal improvements that total less than $8,000 and include installing new signage at all sites to advise users of of applicable city bylaws, uh, ongoing maintenance to boat ramps to fill gaps between pavers and a parking reconfiguration at MacArthur Island. So some minimal work there involved in option one, not going to cost a ton of money. Option two, though, is a little bit more. Uh, It includes that signage that was mentioned, but also outlines some capital investments, including paid parking at Pioneer Park for vehicles with trailers, boat ramp replacements at Valley View and Pioneer Park facilities, and replacing the dock and performing dredging at MacArthur Island. Uh, A small change to the parking layout at MacArthur Island is also a recommended investment. So the total cost for option two is about $763,000. Now, option two is uh, what is proposed at this time, but that cost would be, uh, you know, spread out over the next four budget cycles. It would include four the grand this year for that signage, and then three hundred thousand next year, followed by three hundred eighty thousand in twenty twenty two, and then seventy five thousand in twenty twenty three. Dredging the river access at the MacArthur Island boat launch was also an investment requested through the public, uh, th- sorry, through public input, and it is viewed as a way to extend the time that the facility could operate for motorized boat users. So that dredging work is already within the city's investment plan for the upcoming uh, budget session, upcoming spring, if you will, and is uh, contingent on some environmental permits that are currently being reviewed and subject to that final approval. So uh, that looks like it will uh, likely go through, but of course it is dependent on uh, some of those permits being uh, issued. So Jeff Putnam will be coming on to discuss all of that in just a little bit. 
At around the 35-minute mark of the show, I'm going to be joined by the B.C. Green Party leadership hopeful, Sonia Furstenau. About a week ago, she joined the race to lead the B.C. Greens. Uh, so the party will continue accepting applications until April 15th, and I have read that at least one more person is said to be on the verge of entering the race, while a couple of others are still thinking about it. Uh, Furstenau is the MLA for Cowichan, or sorry, Cowichan Valley, and when she declared her candidacy last week, she promised a fresh style of leadership. She's quoted as saying she will demonstrate very much that her leadership is inclusive, is to bring people in, to widen the support, and to widen the people who can recognize that really the Greens represent what many, many people in communities across British Columbia would like to see in their politics. So first to know, dismiss the idea that she and other Greens had grown too cozy with the NDP to run an effective campaign against them. The next general election is currently scheduled for October of 2021. So first to know, will join me in the back half of the show to talk a little bit more about what her plans are between now and then uh, in order to first secure the uh, leadership bid for the B.C. Green Party, and then what her plan would be um, if an election were called and, and how that process would roll out with her at the helm. So I'll be talking with her at around the 35-minute mark of today's show, so stick around for that. It should be a good little chat. Uh, like I said, that'll be coming up at around the 35-minute mark. And to end off the show today, it will be another edition of What's Trending. What's what? Trending? <laughs> yes, What's Trending is a segment where I look at some of the more talked about stories, both locally and nationally. One of the things that's being talked about here in Kamloops quite a bit over the last 24 hours or so is that a teenager got lost out at Sun Peaks and then got stuck outside, unable to gain access to a shed, which he came across. Uh, so we'll be talking a little bit more about that situation. Fortunately, he was found safely yesterday by a search and rescue crews who were able to see tracks in the snow leading up to that shed, which uh, helped them find uh, this 14-year-old boy who was uh, lost out there overnight on Sunday night. So a pretty scary situation for him. Fortunately, he was found, uh, did require a little bit of uh, treatment for some injuries. I'm not exactly sure what those were, but I'm guessing they were weather-related, probably something along the lines of some frostbite. I mean, if you spend the night outside, uh, I mean, you're going to be susceptible to those kinds of injuries. So. Fortunately, the situation seems like it uh, kind of came to a, a happy conclusion um, and, and everything kind of worked out in the end, uh, despite well, it was probably not a very fun night on Sunday night for this 14-year-old boy. So I'll talk a little bit more about that situation and just some of uh, the uh, issues that arise when talking about that. Uh, another thing on the national list here, Senator Lynn Bayek was the number five Google search in Canada yesterday. Uh, Bayek is again facing suspension from the Red Chamber for failing to complete her anti-racism training, a project which started off on the wrong foot when she told her instructors she was Métis because her parents had adopted an Indigenous child. I mean, I adopted a cat once, right? So that must make me a feline. Is that how that works? Well, anyway, Bayhack has been in this kind of situation in the past, and I'll get into all of that at the end of the show, and I'll be ending things off with my favorite trend on the second day of the week. It's called Hashtag Tuesday Motivation, which is uh, pretty self-explanatory in the fact that people post their favorite inspirational quotes to help us get through four more days of work. So I'll be pulling up some of my favorite ones of those, talking a little bit about Senator Lynn Bayhack, and of course, uh, this situation out at some peaks as things went down there over the course of uh, Sunday and into Monday morning. Uh, so that's all going to be coming up here over the next little bit. So please stick around because I got some great stuff coming up. Uh, Jeff Putnam's coming up next after the break. We got uh, uh, BC Green Party hopeful Sonia Forcido coming up at around the 35 minute mark. And then I'll be ending things off with another edition of What is 
trending. So please stick around. We got more Jeff Andrea show coming up after the break. Uh, it's going to be good. So please stay tuned. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the program here on Tuesday, February 4th, and thanks so much for joining me. The city of Kamloops is celebrating its second annual Arena Safety Week. Uh, things kicked off yesterday, and the week-long initiative is said to include some hands-on opportunities to reinforce arena safety procedures, which, of course, keep workers and the public safe. I'm joined on the phone now by the city's facilities manager, Jeff Putnam. Jeff, thanks so much for being on the show here. Good morning. Uh, really glad to be here. Yeah, so let's just start by talking about this initiative. So it's Arena Safety Week. This is the second year that the city has done this. Maybe just start by telling me why this has felt like it's something that's important to run and, and uh, you know, what the message is over the course of this week. Well, um, as we all know, people in Kamloops really rely on um, our hockey rinks, um, not only for hockey, but for speed skating, figure skating, um, off-season events, graduations, they're kind of the heart and soul of our community, Jeff, and um, we all know about that uh, terrible tragedy that occurred in Fernie um, a few years ago, and uh, around this time last year, we thought, well, isn't it a great opportunity to kind of put the focus on our rinks with our employees to, and um, and really do everything we can to uh, increase our awareness around, you know, safe handling of uh, ammonia, refrigeration systems, as well as, uh, you know, just review our evacuation procedures and work with um, Camelot's Fire and Rescue and just reinforce all of the great uh, safety policies we've already got in place and, and focus them on, on a single week and what what we uh, we found last year was our first annual one um, on the Friday, and I believe the children have uh, are off school on on the Friday. We hosted a free public skate, and uh, tons of people came out. They really enjoyed that opportunity. And this year, we're we're not only doing the free skate at Sandman Center from 10 to noon, but we're also offering free uh, rides on our world famous uh, Fan Boney as well, right after. Right on. Well, I, I always enjoy watching the, the people ride around on that at Blazers games, so I'm sure it'll be a good time. Um, so with this uh, whole Arena Safety Week and sort of being a response to what happened in Fernie there where, you know, in 2017 the old equipment was being blamed for the deaths of three people, um, you know, what does the city of Kamloops, I guess, learn from this and what kind of changes have been made maybe to some maintenance procedures or, or anything along those lines to respond to what happened? Because, uh, I mean, Arena Safety Week in and of itself is great, but, I mean, we're not just uh, practicing safety for the course of one week it's something that i assume is done on 52 weeks a year so just can you tell me kind of what has changed um from how the the city goes about maintaining its arenas as a result of that situation yeah so we're so that, that's a really good question and i just wanted to um let everyone know that our our maintenance protocols have always been extremely stringent so we haven't had to make any changes to our actual maintenance it's but uh what changes that we're doing is what um um, technical safety BC and WorkSafe uh, BC, which are the regulatory bodies we we uh, work with, um, in terms of how. So, if there was a um, um, ammonia leak within the enclosed um, uh, ice plant room in each of the rinks, they're all completely enclosed. We had to uh, improve through the legislation, inc improve the uh, volume of exhaust fans so that it gets exhausted out faster. 
That's one of the uh, outcomes that came out of the, the Fernie tragedy. As well as, um, I'm just trying to think here what the other major one. Well, there's um, some, every arena now has a little blue light, and the, um, which if the um, amount of ammonia, say if there's a minor ammonia leak and it goes it rises above 25 parts per million, the blue light will flash. And that'll just um, alert our, um, our crews that, okay, there's, there could just be a minor leak in in the uh, plant room and then we'll check on it and there's a you know a, a protocol to follow the supervisor gets notified and it gets investigated and and um so i just wanted to ensure people if they do see the blue alarm light go off it doesn't uh, necessarily mean there's any major issues because from time to time um there will be minor ammonia leaks but it's all handled properly and it's completely safe Good to know. That's definitely some good information for people who probably look at that blue light and wonder what the heck it is sometimes. Um, I know there's, you mentioned a number of the activities that you have planned for the next little while here as a result of Arena Safety Week, and I was looking at your Twitter feed here. One thing you say is to, to keep your eyes peeled for some uh, rink, ice rink-related announcements coming soon. Is there any sneak peek you can give us here about what kind of announcements we could be expecting here? Uh, well, that was really intended to uh, focus on the Arena Safety Week and um, kind of bring more awareness. And of course, the uh, the Friday event uh, with the free public skating and the free fan fan bony rides. I wasn't uh, trying to hint on any further news on uh, arena related news other than that. Um, but uh, yeah, and a lot of people have wondered. Oh, I wonder if it has something to do with the the possible grant announcement around the outdoor skating. Facility mm-hmm. at Riverside mm-hmm. Park, but that's not the case. Okay, well, that uh, that'll clear that up for some people. Then um, let's move on to, to boat launches here. So uh, you know, Arena Safety Week, a great initiative, and and for for people who are wanting to participate, there's a, a schedule, I believe, on the city website to participate in a number of the activities going on when it comes to Arena Safety Week. But uh, let's move on to boat launches. That was another thing on our agenda here to talk about. Uh, we're looking at a couple of options here for what type of work uh, the city might be doing here in 2020. So. Um, I mean, there, there's a couple options that are on the table here. Uh, one is for, I believe, about $4,000 to look at some new signage uh, at the city's three boat launches, uh, those being Pioneer Park, Valley View, and MacArthur Island. Um, I guess that looks like it is going to kind of move through. Um, you know, it is an option one and it's an option two. So maybe just tell me what the importance is of uh, improving the signage right now at these locations. Well, it's uh, right now there's a lot of various uh, regulatory information on there from various, like from fisheries uh, and oceans, from the city, uh, and I believe the RCMP have signs. So it, what we want to do is just trying to streamline and streamline the signage and make it a little more appealing and easier to read and for uh, boat users as well. Um, line painting in the parking lots and that type of thing. I believe it's about eight thousand dollar expense, and we're proposing that to happen this year as well as dredging the channel through MacArthur Island. We're working through um, getting approvals from uh, Department of Fisheries and Oceans. So hopefully we can get that work done this winter. If not, it may need to, to wait till late fall. Um, and as you know, as you mentioned, Jeff, we've got three bow launches. They're all very well used. Um, one on uh, Valley View, one on MacArthur Island, and of course, the, the our busiest one at Pioneer Park. And the business case is is proposing a multi-year um, approach and at some point we are going to have to repair the actual ramps at Pioneer Park and Valley View boat launches and that cost is 380000 and uh, that's being proposed to, to do in, in, in year three of, of our uh, 
business case uh, that's currently just being reviewed by council. And uh, the one other uh, recommendation was improving kind of flow in Pioneer Park because right now there's a bit of a tree island that separates the boat trailer parking as well as the Pioneer Park visitor parking. We want to kind of connect those two, have better flow, increase the capacity for um, parking your boat trailer as well. So, And then we're also looking at kind of what options, uh, what it might look like if we were to charge a small fee for boat trailer parking. Yeah, why, why is that something that is being considered right now? I just, uh, you brought it up there, and I know parking is always a contentious issue for a lot of people, and uh, anytime you mention, uh, you know, adding a charge to something that was previously free, it tends to get people a little bit, uh, um, you know, up in arms. So just sort of what is the, uh, the the thought process behind adding some paid parking spots? Yeah, well, I think um, the, a couple things. The uh, There are a limited number of boat user, users in general, and the, the basically city taxpayers are essentially subsidizing um, the maintenance of these boat launches for for the boat users. So it's quite common to have a, a small fee to, to use the launch and use the parking area. Um, a lot of other communities are doing that, especially downtown or higher higher value uh, real estate locations, such as Kelowna and other places like that. Um, and I think the uh, council also mentioned it previously before we started the business case of what it might look like. So we did some initial um, figures, but again, it, uh, once you start charging for parking, then you have to pay for the enforcement of that. And we still have to kind of... Um, you know, figure out the cost of uh, actual enforcing with through the bylaw department. We haven't done that yet. All right. Makes a lot of sense to me for the most part, and, and I understand why it would be something that would be explored. I'll get you out of here on this, Jeff, because we're almost out of time, and, and you talked a little bit about the dredging at MacArthur Island. Um, so I just wanted to ask sort of what the process is right there at this point in time. You're waiting on some uh, environmental approvals. Any ideas when you might hear back on that, since that is uh, work that is scheduled to take place here this year? Yeah, so our environmental services department, Jeff, is uh, working through that right now. I haven't received an update recently. We're ho- we're very hopeful to get it done in the late winter here, early spring. But if we can't, we'll have to wait till the fall. But it will it will get completed at 2020 at some point. Okay, and it sounds like it should have minimal impact on the boating season based on those timelines. Well, if uh, it has to be delayed till the fall, it's, it won't be ideal for sure. We would prefer to get it done in in uh, this winter. Um, but we'll see what happens. All right. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate you taking the time. You were supposed to be on here yesterday, but uh, our phone lines went down, so we moved you here to today, so I appreciate you being flexible and taking the time to come speak to me here on Tuesday. No problem at all. Thank you. Right on. That was Jeff Putnam, the City of Kamloops Facilities Manager. Coming up after the break, I'm going to be talking with the BC Green Party leadership hopeful, Sonia Forstenow. She's the first to join the BC leadership race. I'll be talking to her after this. to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the show here on Tuesday the 4th, and thanks for tuning in. 
Andrew Weaver brought the B.C. Green Party to new heights. In 2013, he became the first Green to win a seat in the B.C. legislature. And in 2017, Weaver was leader and the party grew to three MLAs holding the balance of power in the new NDP government. But now Weaver has resigned as leader and MLA Adam Olson has stepped in as interim leader. Well, now the real leadership race is starting to warm up here. As last week, it was announced that the MLA for Cowichan Valley, Sonia Furstenau, will seek the party's leadership. And I'm joined on the phone now now by Sonia Firstino. Sonia, thank you so much for taking the time here. Great to be here, Jeff. Thanks. So it's been about a week now since you put your name forward to be the next leader of the BC Green Party, I guess. Just how have things been going here over that time? I mean, how, how have you been received over the course of your first week, sort of uh, putting yourself out there as a leadership candidate? Yeah, it's been an incredibly positive first week. So we've had uh, thousands of dollars come in in donations in addition to the money we'd already raised before we got going uh, and dozens and dozens of sign-ups to, for volunteers and people to, to participate in the campaign. Uh, several events have already been lined up. In the next two weeks, I'm traveling all over Vancouver Island and then uh, come March, I'll be heading into the interior, including a stop in Kamloops. Perfect. Well, we'll look for you in March here in the Kamloops area. We'll definitely look forward to that. Um, so, so what are you hoping to get this gig? Like, what exactly would your goals be if you were to be the next leader of the BC Green Party? Well, I think the Greens have a lot to offer. We've already demonstrated how much uh, we can change BC politics uh, in the time that we've been there. We've been able to move from the kind of tired two-party system that we've had in BC for so long and demonstrated that having a third voice, having the Greens in the BC legislature really makes a difference. And, and uh, so we're going to continue building on that momentum and that trajectory that we've got and really uh, the main thing that I want to convey in this campaign is change isn't only possible, it's necessary. And I look to Kamloops as an example of a, 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 a city, a, a region that is really embracing change. I was at a sustainability conference in Kamloops early 2015 after I'd been elected as a regional director here in Cowichan. And I was so impressed with the forward thinking that was happening in Kamloops. And now you've got this new investment uh, coming, the Hive, uh, where you're really transforming your downtown into the, the, the real, literally, the hive of the new economy, inviting the, the kind of innovation and entrepreneurial economy into your city. This is what is so possible across BC, and this is what the Greens really recognize as the future for BC's economy. Yeah, you're, you're up to date on your Kamloops news. That was just announced late last week, that Hive uh, um, project that's going to be going ahead here starting this year. So, uh, yeah, just uh, wanted to point it out that you're really, uh, really informed here. So um, what, are you, what can you say to people, I guess, who, who are, you know, looking at the Green Party as basically a partner of the NDP at this point in time? And, um, you know, there's, there's some who say, you know, you can't really necessarily tell the difference between the Greens and the NDP at times. I mean, just sort of how do you respond to that? I mean, how, how are you different and, and how would the relationship maybe alter than if, if you were the leader compared to what it is right now? Yeah, it's a really good point. And I think we have to continue to show uh, what that difference is uh, as we move forward. And so ultimately, the difference is going to come down to the vision that we put forward for the, the next election and for the future of BC. And I think that that difference is, is significant in that uh, both the BC NDP and the BC Liberals 
uh, have a, a kind of status quo, backward-looking, uh, you know, focus on the export of raw resources out of our province, rather than recognizing, and this is where the Greens really, I believe, stand apart from the other two parties, we recognize that the most valuable resource in BC is actually the people of British Columbia. And when you see initiatives like what's happening in Kamloops, when you see uh, the impact that post-secondary institutions like Thompson Rivers University has on a town and on a city, you recognize that the investments in education from early childhood to postgraduate to training programs and ensuring that we have this incredibly educated, well-trained population who can fill in this space that is emerging as the knowledge economy of the 21st century. That is a significant difference between us and, and the other two parties, and we will be working very hard to demonstrate that over the next uh, number of legislative sessions, but also in putting forward a vision for the province that capitalizes on what is possible. Uh, the other big difference is, you know, connected to this, small and medium-sized businesses in British Columbia are the backbone of our economy. And rather than giant uh, subsidies and tax incentives to multinational corporations, which both of the other parties have done with a $6 billion giveaway to the LNG industry, we would be focusing on ensuring that small and medium-sized businesses, BC-based businesses, can really thrive. And, you know, the tax, uh, I know for the Hive, the tax incentives from council were a big part of the uh, decision for the Hive to come into Kamloops. That's exactly the kind of forward-thinking initiatives and, and uh, policies we need to see from the provincial government as well. So from that response, it sounds to me like you're talking a lot about, you know, having a diverse economy. And we talk a lot about diversifying the economy from what it stands now. I mean, B.C. is a province that's built on, you know, the forest industry. Uh, you know, we're looking at, uh, the, as, as things are standing right now, there's a lot of uh, jobs that are being created as a result of uh, pipeline construction. Um, but it sounds like, you know, I mean, the Green Party is someone that kind of wants to move away from, from some of that anyway. So how difficult is that transition? Um, you know, how, how do you the Green Party go about, you know, facilitating that transition for those who maybe are on those jobs that are uh, seemingly almost on the way out. And, and, you know, it might be difficult to go about finding something in a new uh, sector or something along those lines. I mean, mm -hmm. just can you talk a little bit about that transition and how that might work? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it is important to recognize that transitions can be difficult for certain sectors of the economy. But when we look at what's possible, so if we move into a more innovative-based approach to to resources, for example, and I visited the Kolesnikov uh, mass timber mill that's being built uh, near Castlegar last summer, uh, this is an example where uh, the timber is being uh, harvested locally by local uh, timber companies. It's being sold to the local mill, which is doing a value-added product and, and significantly more value-added once they get their mass timber uh, site up and running, which then provides uh, materials for building right here in British Columbia. And you start to actually have economies that, yes, include resources, but, but produce far more jobs along the way and produce far more money to the economy in the use of that resource. The, the problem that we have now is resource-based economy uh, and the thinking that the, the, the end game is to get that resource shipped off to some other global market where it produces jobs and economic benefits.
benefits in other countries. We need those benefits to be staying right here in British Columbia. We have the capacity to do it, and we really have to decide that that's the future we want to create. And once we've made that decision to create that future, we then create the policies and the processes to ensure that that happens. In terms of transition for workers, uh, this is where education, retraining, and recognition that there is a responsibility as we move into a, a, a newer economy that we bring everybody along with us in that move, in that transition. Um, one more thing, I want to get you out of here on this, Sonia, because uh, mm-hmm. this is something that um, it's, it's it's something I've talked about with a number of people, and it, it's uh, kind of a concern, I guess, a little bit for me. But um, what is your thoughts on sort of the relationship right now that the government has uh, with with First Nations? Because uh, you know, we look at the situations mm-hmm. like what's going on with Coastal Gaslink and with the Wet'suwet'en, mm-hmm. and how difficult things are there. And it seems like uh, you know the the NDP right now is almost unwilling to listen, and yet you know it wasn't very long ago they were touting BC as as being leaders when it comes to Indigenous relations with the UNDRIP mm-hmm. legislation. Um, you just, just wanted to get your overall thoughts on how things might change under a, a, a Green Party leadership. Um, you know, what, what would those relationships look like and, and how would they differentiate from what we're seeing right now? That's a great question and, and it's such an important one because just like we're transitioning in the economy, we also have to transition as we move through uh, the the long process of reconciliation and the change of the relationships between levels of government and First Nations uh, and Indigenous communities. It's... Uh, it, it's not enough to say the words. It actually has to translate into a real change in approaches and action. And as you say, listening has to be a significant part of this. And as you know, uh, our current interim leader, Adam Olson, traveled up and met with the chiefs at Wet'suwet'en uh, and also met with the RCMP and went up there really to listen and to understand from the ground what is happening in that uh, in that area and what is at the root of that conflict uh and this is again the the challenge with approaching our economy as being one that is about shipping raw resources off of our coastline as quickly as we can uh we are going to come up against these barriers from first nations but also from communities and unless we we determine together what is the vision of the future that we all agree on we are going to hit against these roadblocks and that vision really needs to be one that uh, doesn't exclude people from the, the the well-being and prosperity that can be achieved. And this is what the message is, is that uh, for too long, communities have been excluded from that. And as we see with the job losses uh, happening across BC in the forestry sector, there's a real risk that there's more exclusion coming. So this is a time for us to say uh, there's an opportunity to really reframe where we're going as a province. We have so much potential and so much going for us. We have to get out of the backwards thinking that we've been trapped in for so long. Well, Sonia, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and speak with me here today. I really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely be uh, keeping our eyes peeled for when you're here in the spring, and and we'll catch up with you then. So thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it.
Thank you so much. I, I really enjoy it, and I can't wait to be back in Kamloops. Right. All the best. All right. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. That was the MLA for Cowichan Valley, Sonia Firstenau, and of course, she is seeking to become the next leader of the BC Green Party. So yeah, definitely some uh, an, an interesting initiatives there on her agenda, and we'll see uh, you know if she can win that leadership bid, and then what happens as a result. We are looking right now to 2021 for uh, the next BC election. I mean, that of course could change at any minute, but uh, as of right now that is the plan to look ahead to the fall of 2021 well coming up next we're going to be looking at what's trending we're going to be talking about some things here going on locally some things going on nationally that's all going to be coming up after the break so please stick around more jeff andrea show is coming up local news now radio nl 6 10 a.m and radio nl.com Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back into the show here on Tuesday, February the 4th. we got a few minutes left here in the program, and that means it's time for another installment of What's Trending. What's, What's Trending? trending? Yesterday, it was reported that a 14-year-old boy went missing out at Sun Peaks. The teenager was apparently skiing out of bounds on Sunday when he became lost. There was some confusion about the story here yesterday after it was revealed that the boy was thankfully found safe. No confusion about that. However, firstly, about uh, you know, 20 search and rescue volunteers at Sun Peaks went looking for the boy who had failed to return home to Kamloops following what I'm sure was a mighty fun day of skiing out at Sun Peaks. RCMP say he was skiing out of bounds, of course, when... He got lost. Well, at first it was reported that the boy was able to find an old shed and spend the night in it. However, later yesterday afternoon, it was then revealed that he wasn't actually able to gain entry to the shed and ended up spending the night in the elements. That does not sound like a fun night. However, he did stay near the shed, and that proved to be a good move as rescuers were able to see the footprints in the snow leading to that shed. I have no idea how rescuers, who were apparently flying overhead, were able to see footprints in the snow, but good on them, and it sounds like it really prevented things from getting any worse. So, uh, you know, always a concern when skiing out of bounds, and Kamloops RCMP wanted to reinforce that message. Here's Constable Jody Schelke stating why it maybe isn't the best idea to go venturing off like that. It is uh, very dangerous to go out of bounds when you're skiing or snowboarding. And it's just situations like this that brings it to the forefront of just how dangerous it could be. So thankfully, this 14-year-old kid was found, and he did require some ambulatory care. Uh, I'm going to guess for some form of frostbite, uh, but uh, I shouldn't speculate perhaps. But the point is that everything did work out in the end, and I'm sure this one individual will be staying within the boundaries next time he heads up the mountain, uh, or I'm sure his parents will be uh, pretty adamant that he do so, even if he doesn't feel the need to. So we'll see. Well, thankfully, that was a uh, good conclusion. No issues. Everything seems to be, um, you know, okay when it comes to what happened out at Sun Peaks. Um, but definitely a, a scary situation and one that reinforces the need to make sure people know where you are and that you stay in bounds. Um, so that's what's trending here in Kamloops. But what's trending here on a national level? Well, Senator Lynn Bayak was the number five Google search here in Canada yesterday. Bayak is once again facing suspension from the Red Chamber for failing to complete her anti-racism training, a project which started off on the wrong foot when she told her instructors she was Métis because her parents had adopted an Indigenous child. Uh, if you don't know the history of Lynn Bayak, she is a senator from Dryden, Ontario. Bayak had previously been suspended from the Senate after declining to remove letters from her website that had been widely condemned as racist, and then she refused to apologize for posting those letters. 
Bay Act dismissed criticism of those letters as political correctness gone awry and uh, equated her punishment of a temporary suspension to George Orwell's novel 1984. That's... A little bit much, I would say, but uh, Bayek also faced a ton of backlash as well when uh, in the House, and she said um, how much good the residential school system had provided, something that many quickly came out and spoke out against. Bayek essentially said that focusing on the systemic, physical, mental, and sexual abuse, which resulted in the death of at least 6,000 children from malnutrition and disease in the residential school system, Bayek went on to say that those findings overshadowed the good deeds of well-intentioned residential school workers. And now this. This is the, the latest in a string of what I would like to call misinformed hot takes, but uh, may just be a case of unmitigated ignorance. I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to go about phrasing these kinds of uh, things that are being said uh, by Senator Lynn Bayak, but it's something that I think uh, many people take issue with. And uh, yeah, like I said here yesterday, she was uh, in the news for basically saying that uh, she was Métis because her parents had adopted an Indigenous child, and I, I don't think that's quite how that works. Well, let's things end things off here on a bit of a high note, shall we? It's time for some hashtag Tuesday motivation, an always trending topic on Tuesday. If you're on Twitter, you can see a lot of good stuff that's going on when we're talking about some Tuesday motivation. Um, you know, get some motivational quotes out there to hopefully help get you through your day here today on Tuesday and maybe through the rest of the week. Who knows? It's early in the week. We got four more days to go. Maybe you need a little motivation to help you through those days. Well, here's a couple of good quotes I found here today. I'm sure there's nothing overly new about them, but it doesn't change the fact that they are, to me anyway, somewhat inspirational. Here's one. If you find a path with no obstacles, it probably doesn't lead anywhere yes it's uh, it's important for us to work hard and make sure that you're doing the best you can like i was saying you know if you got four more days of work here and you're struggling to get through it well uh, just remember that uh, if it was easy it wouldn't be worth doing so that's something i think you should just keep in mind and make sure you keep on trucking here uh, and moving forward uh, we got a couple of days to go before the weekend i think that you can make it and here's my last and final motivational tweet of the day number two you don't need someone to complete you you only need someone to accept you completely i think that's a nice way to end things off. We're 10 days away from Valentine's Day. Um, you don't need someone to complete you. You just need someone to accept you completely. Isn't that very nice? It's a nice way to end things off. So there you go. There's your hashtag Tuesday motivation. This has been a uh, February edition of What's Trending. What's what? Trending? <laughs> Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me. And, of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me here for a short while or a long while, just know that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.